Let's go with uh, Acts chapter 3. This morning's service, uh, a little different this morning. We're going to talk about healing the lame man in chapter 3, but we're actually, it, it goes beyond that. But I, I needed that as a starting point so we can see the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit coming into being in the early church. So go with me to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and we'll keep going back there. So uh, Vanette has her work cut out for her today. I'm going to be back and forth and back and forth. But her I like, him I don't, but that's all right. (laughs) Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. How long has this man been lame? Since birth. And if you go into the next chapter, chapter 4, you'll find out it says he's 40 years old. Okay? Chapter 4. We don't go there. You can check it out on yourself. Man who'd been lame from his mother's birth was being what? Remember what we do when we read the Bible? We read it slowly. We ask we take, we look between the, we look for attitude, we dig with the trowel. If you just read this, you're, you're going to skip everything that's going on in this man's life. He has been carried along, which means there's an involvement with other people for his benefit, for him to be able to stay alive. Somebody's messing in his life so that he can go from from pillar to post, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order, excuse me, to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Get the picture. Okay? He's outside the front door. He's watching you walk in, and his hands are like this, Rick. He's looking, look at me, Rick. Come on, Rick. I mean, you know, get the picture of what's happening so that you see the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's begging alms. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. That's what he do. That's my job. Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze and said, look at us. Isn't it a strange thing to say for somebody who's begging you for money? How many of you have driven up to a stoplight around here in Vegas and people are standing out there with a card and, and you know, they're, they're looking. Have you ever yelled out at them? Look at us. Look at us, he says. Go ahead. <clears throat> and he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Hmm. I don't know. If I'm lying on the ground, uh, Gary, and you look at me and say, walk, I'm going to be thinking about some things. I'm over 40. I've never walked. And now you're looking at me and telling me to walk? Something's wrong. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, (laughs) he stood upright. Are you taking pictures? With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, and you're not supposed to leap when you go into the temple. 
Come on, get out of your car, walk up the steps, sit down, be nice, be quiet. No, no, no. He entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people that are inside the temple saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him. They're watching. They're observing. They're taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, he did not let him go. All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Now, the portico was outside of the temple. I need you to get a picture of what's going on. But to understand what we're doing here, we need to get a little background about Peter and John, and we've got to go back a little bit in, in, in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, you, you all know what happened, chapter 2, verse 4. They were all there in one accord, and suddenly there was, a strong, there was a sound of a strong, mighty wind. It filled the whole place where they were. They had tongues of fire sitting on their head, according to Acts 2, 4. They all began to speak with tongues. Do you remember the scripture? Well, this is where it's starting. This is what's happening. 120 people in that upper room filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues that they had never spoken before. And guess what? All the visitors who'd been there for the harvest, for the uh, season of Pentecost, uh, for that holiday, they're listening to you guys speak in tongues. And and I'm hearing Gary speak in Italian. He doesn't speak in Italian. But that's what I'm hearing. I'm a tourist. I'm there on purpose for that feast. And you're speaking in a language I understand. And I know he's never been taught Italian. This is what's going on on the day of Pentecost. 120 people speaking in another language that they had never learned. And everybody is listening. And everybody is understanding. Because they're praising God with their mouths and their new languages. Well, right after that. Peter preaches his first sermon under that anointing, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. They've just come out of the upper room. He's just bathed in the Holy Spirit. And everybody's going, what's going on here? And Peter just jumps in. Now when they heard this, they were the, the tourists. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Oh, why don't you just go to the hotel and relax and have a cup of coffee and maybe a scone or something. He said, repent. Each of you. He's not pulling any punches. He's not being naughty. He's not being nasty. He's not being mean. But he's telling them the truth. Something has just happened. And he's telling them they better pay attention to what just happened. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Well, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Wow, I don't know. These are brand new people. We've never heard this before. When you're out running around doing your job, doing your thing, 
you're running into people who have never heard before about how much God loves them because no one has told them how much God loves them. But you need to understand what's going on in this particular portion of Scripture. His, his sermon is repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That first sermon, 3,000 people were saved and baptized. I suggest, humbly, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a very powerful thing. Amen? Amen. I suggest that Peter is beginning to touch base with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in him. And this is his first act after being baptized in that chapter 2, verse 4. He comes out and he is filled with the Spirit of God. And now people are watching this man who is technically unlearned, no college graduate, doesn't have any degrees, but somehow he has the presence of the Holy Spirit all over him. Well, that's the background of chapter 3. So go back to chapter 3 with me. Peter and John have decided to go up to the temple. It's the hour of prayer. Good. They're going to a prayer meeting. It is after the day of Pentecost. We don't know how long. We're not told how many days, three, three four days, five. We don't know. But it's after the experience of chapter 2, verse 4, and they're going to the prayer meeting, and they're going to mingle with Jews who don't know who Jesus is or won't accept him. They're going to mingle with new Christians who are mingling with the Jews. They're going there to pray. They're going there to receive as much from God as they possibly can because they suddenly found out something in Acts chapter 2. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to continue this ministry. Somebody say amen. Amen. What do we need? What are we doing? Why are we here? What do we expect to achieve? They know what they need. So we go to chapter 3 again, and verse 1, they're going up to pray. Okay, Verse 2, they get to, uh, they get to see the lame man asking for money. We know how old he is. The next chapter tells us that. He's lame. He's there every day. He has people dealing with him. He's, the scripture says he is carried along. I've got news for you. Social services is taking care of this man. Are you with me? Come on, you've got to take the pictures. You've got to ask questions. How did he get there? Gary just opened up the back of his SUV. They threw him in the back of his SUV along with his cot and everything else, a little bottle of water, some juice, and they took him to the temple, put him right outside the door, got the cot out, got him out, sat him down and said, now you stay here all day long and make some money because we've got to feed you. He has social services helping him get to the temple every day because he has a job, and his job is to ask you for money. Take pictures. Ask questions. It is important that you know what's going on in the scripture that you read. Okay, He's begging for money because he has a job. You ever thought about that? His job is to stop you and stop me. And put out his hand, Gary. That's his job. And look as desperate as he can look, which is easy for Gary. And he sees Peter. That's the first thing he does, Gary. That's his job. The man knows what his job is, and the man knows how to do it. Well, 
Peter responds in verses 4 through 10. And I want to read it to you again, and I want you to see some things as we read those scriptures, because we'll break them down. Peter said, look at me. Just, just take a good look at me. Maybe Peter's saying, Do, I don't have a uh, Hart Schaffner and Marx three-piece suit on. Anybody remember Hart Schaffner and Marx? Am I the oldest one in the room? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Erase that from the tape. Peter says, look at me. Look at me. And what Peter is saying is, I don't have what you think you need. He knows why he's there. I want money. It's helping him, Gary. I mean, he does. He takes home whatever he takes home. They put it in his bank account. They write checks for him. They do all. But, but he needed something more than money. And Peter knows that he doesn't need money. He knows that he needs something else. I don't have what you think you need. I have exactly what you need. And what you need is not money. You need Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life. What do you see when someone walks into your establishment or into your backyard or knocks on your door or you see them at the store? What do you see? They know what their needs are, Rick. They've been back and forth. I know what I need. Don't tell me what I need. I know what I need. And you're looking at them and saying, I know what you think you think you need, but I really know what you need, and you need Jesus in your life. That's the message. Please, please look at the picture. This man didn't need money. He needed Jesus, because when Jesus comes into your life, everything changes, and he is proof of this. Everything changes when you let Jesus Christ come into your life. Amen? Well, what's happening? Verse 9. In verse 6, he says, I don't possess silver or gold. And he grabs him, pulls him up off the ground. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now, you've you got to take out your cell phones, and you've got to go to your, your movie pictures or whatever you do. You record. You've got to see this guy. Forty years or so old. Never walked before in his life. Lame from his mother's womb. He is jumping all over the place, Mary. He's going crazy. I would too. I would be acting like an idiot. And I'm not making any comments on that statement. (laughs) He's jumping up and down. He's as happy as can be. He's never done this before. Do you understand what we have to offer people? They have... We have things that they have never experienced before in their lives. We have love that goes beyond what they can understand, and we can share it with them. They don't need what they think they need. They need what I know they need. They need Jesus in their life. And if they get Jesus in their life, things begin to happen, and they're jumping up and down, and everybody is seeing the change in his life. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? Just don't say, well, I'm a Christian. I mean, am I not supposed to see something if you say that? Aren't you supposed to show something to me if you're a Christian? Shouldn't it be relevant in the manner in which you live? Take a picture. Don't, don't forget this picture. The guy is jumping up and down and everybody is watching. And everybody just gets out of the temple and look. Oh, I think I know that guy, man. He, well, I, know, I do know him. Well, aren't you the guy? Sure you are. You used to lay down. I, I gave you money last week. 
I know. What are you doing jumping up and down? I want to know now what's going on in your life. The whole tabernacle, the whole uh, uh, synagogue, they're all looking at you now. We can't figure you out. <gasps> really? Can you think back to what you used to be like before you knew Jesus? Are you anything like that now? And people still haven't figured you out. Because something transformed your life. And it wasn't Peter, and it wasn't John. It was indeed the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I just, man, I don't, I don't tire of some pictures. And this is a picture I don't ever want to forget. Because I want to see miracles take place in this church. I want to see people walk in that door and can't walk. They have to be carried in. I want to see them jumping up and down and jumping, running up and down those stairs. Why? Because Jesus is here. And that's what they need. Your friends need Jesus. I don't care who your friends are. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how old you are. What's happening? His whole life has changed like that. And when Jesus comes into your heart and into your life, it changes like this. You're no longer the same person. Well, He's dancing around, jumping around inside the synagogue. Finally, they walk out to the portico, which is outside, and there's more and more room. And everybody is joining now. Everybody's coming into play. They come out of the synagogue. They're watching him jump up and down. He's screaming. He's yelling. He's singing, how great thou art. He's doing all kinds of things. And the crowd gathers. And Peter preaches his second sermon outside, verses 16 through 19 of chapter 3. Second sermon. Because they want to know, what happened to this guy? And so he tells them. He says, here it is, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, on the basis of faith in his name, Jesus. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. Not money, not silver, not gold, not even me. But it's the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. Hello? I know who you were. You can't run for me, Jason. I know what you were like. I, now you're jumping up and down. I know this now. I, you can't hide this. Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him, Jesus, has given him his perfect health in presence of you all. Next verse. And now, brethren, he's preaching, I know that you acted in ignorance. Just as your rulers did also. He's going back to chapter 2. Okay, go ahead. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. This is something brand new. Your, 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 your buddies knew about this. Your moms and dads, the, the, the rabbis knew about it. Okay, he's saying, now therefore repent, here we go again, and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This man was healed because of the name of Jesus. I didn't heal him. This man experienced a connection through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus healed him. He says in verse 17, I know you made mistakes, you're... Your, your forefathers made the same mistakes, but I love verse 18 because it says, but everything that Jesus was supposed to fulfill, he fulfilled. And so in verse 19, he says, repent, 
Your sins are washed away. And note this. Now, take advantage of the times of refreshing the presence of the Lord. You need to be refreshed. You won't be refreshed because I lay my hand on you and pray with you. I'll I'll do that. But we're going to need the presence of the Lord. We're going to come together as a family as we've done in this church, and I'm so proud of you. To know that the presence of the Lord is refreshing us. Do we need spiritual refreshing? Oh, no, not me, Pastor. I'm so full of the presence of the Lord. I don't need Really? This man had a sudden change of heart and life. He needed that refreshing. Well, you took the pictures. We are all now jumping up and down, right? I mean, we're just happy as a lark. We're clapping our hands. We're singing and praising God. And we're just going to have a parade. This guy's going to be in the parade. We're going to just walk down the street with him. Wonderful, wonderful, happy time, right? No. It's jail time now. Because you're forgetting what's going on in the book of Acts. Chapter 4, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 tells us this jail time. As they were speaking to the people, that's Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I'll get to that. Go ahead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day because it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. <laughs> oh, jail time. Jail time brings results. See, we're dealing with one of the religious groups of that day were the Sadducees. You remember that? Okay. Uh, you had the Sadducees. You had the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe it. That's why they were called sad, you see. You heard that one before, didn't you? You could have said, oh, no, Pastor, that was brand new. But they are sad. They can't see the reality of what happened to this man. They can't believe in the resurrection. They don't, they don't understand the power of the resurrection. Let me tell you something. Without the resurrection, we're dead. Without the resurrection, we're dead. Without the reality of the Holy Spirit flowing through us, we're dead. Without the power of him coming off the cross, going to the grave, coming out of the grave, and standing for 40 days saying, take a good look at me because I was dead, but I'm not dead now. Without that power of resurrection, we don't exist. They don't like it. Verse 7, they really go after him. In verse 7. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? <laughs> That's not the name of Rudy Greco, I'll tell you that right now. And they told him, verse 10, 11, and 12. Listen to what it says. Let it be known, this is Peter talking, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified... He's laying it on, whom God, said, you see, raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, 
the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. By what power did you do this? Let me tell you what power it was. It was the name of Jesus. What are we telling people when they ask us questions? Why do you live like you live? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you, why do you just hold each other up in prayer when someone is sick? Why do you run over and make sure they've got some soup on the stove? So Why do you do that? Because the power of the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and he's turned us around and he's saying, this is the way I want you to operate. So everybody sees it was my son who brought you to this point. Have you ever heard the expression, those of you who've been around the aerospace industry, have you ever heard the expression, Houston, we have a problem? Verse 16 through 20. Go there, please. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Oh, I feel sorry for them, don't you? You come to church, you're not well, something's wrong with your body, whatever it may be, and suddenly you walk out healed, and somebody doesn't like the fact that you're healed? Come on. Well, I'm sorry, verse 70. But so it will not spread any further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Really? And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said, oh, if that's what you want us to do, we'll do it. Sure, we'll just obey you. We don't care what God says. We, should, we don't have to obey God. We'll just obey you. Peter looked at him and said, no way, Jose. Read it, right in there. New Italian-American standard. No way, Jose. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. That's Peter talking. He's talking to officials who would like to kill them. We have a problem. You cannot put the toothpaste back into the tube. You can't unheal a man who's been healed. And this man's walking around shouting, and the Sadducees cannot deny the miracle. That's what we need in these last moments of time before the trumpet does sound. We need to see that God is moving in such a magnificent way that no one can deny it is the power of God. It is not the power of some preacher or some church. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. That's what this message is about. Well... What do Peter and John do? They go home and cry. Oh, no, they don't. Verse 29 through 31. Look at what they do. They go back to church. They open the door, and everybody's there. And they get back there, and they start telling the people what, what happened. And now, Lord, they're saying to the people, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. 
While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. We're in church. This is not somebody new. They prayed. The whole place where they gathered, they were shaken, and they were all filled. Brand, not brand new people. This is the church again. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The presence of the Holy Spirit is not a one-shot deal. I need his presence every day. It's not, well, I'll pray. Let me pray for five minutes, Gary, and then I'll be with you because I need, I need the Holy Spirit. Give me five minutes, will you? I'm sorry. That's not the Holy Spirit's timeline. He is with us 24-7. They couldn't stop speaking about Jesus. They couldn't stop speaking about what had happened to that man. They couldn't stop speaking about the miracle. And so what did they do? They went back to the church family. They told the church family what had taken place. And what happened? They all began to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you see a pattern here? This just wasn't just about the lame man. I think you know me better by now because we dig with that little trowel and we dig and we dig and we dig until we can see all that's there hidden. There's a pattern. Acts 2.4 showed us the pattern, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, the first sermon, 3,000 were saved. Acts chapter 3, another 5,000 were saved. Do you see a pattern going on? It is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that is providing the pattern that this church will follow, and that's why we are here today 2,000 years later, because 2,000 years ago, some people decided they allowed the Holy Spirit to come into their lives in a marvelous way, speaking in tongues and sharing reality. We're here today because of them. Peter said to the layman, I don't have any money, but I got Jesus. And you'll look at people and you'll say, I don't have what you need, but I don't have what you think you need, but I do know what you need. You need Jesus. Well, what did Peter have? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. We never talk about this because we don't dig. We don't dig. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? He's in you, whom you have from where? God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit lives in the Greco mansion on the Pacific Ocean. San Luis Obispo, California, Pebble Beach, the Grand Greco Mansion. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives in you. He has chosen to live in you and in me. That's why we can do what we do, because he's alive within us. Go to the next scripture, please. 
John 14. This is Jesus talking. Remember? John 14 is a powerful chapter. He's going to leave. He knows he's got to leave. He knows it's important for him to leave. So he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, that he may be with you once in a while. How long? How long? Are you kidding me? Once the Holy Spirit jumped into this castle, Greco castle, he can't get out. The only way he can get out is if I kick him out. He can't say, I'm going to run away from Greco. No, no, he can't do that. He is in my life forever, Gary. And the only reason that will stop is if I say, I don't want you anymore in my life, and we turn our back on him, and we walk away from him. He is in us. He abides with us forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides within you and will be in you. Well, where's the Holy Spirit living in your life? Is he in your life? Do you understand he's there forever? Do you understand he's not leaving you? I don't care what you did wrong. Until you say to the Holy Spirit, get out of my life, he doesn't move. Can I say that again? I'm not sure you believe me. Well, pastor, what if I sin? Yeah, he knows about it. He'll kick your butt once in a while, so you say, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. There you go. One who knows what it means to have his butt kicked, right? We're there. We're all there. He does not run away from us. And the only way he can leave me is if I tell him to leave. I am not about to do that. Peter had the Holy Spirit living in him forever. When I pass away, when my wife passed away, she went from this life to that life instantly, but the Holy Spirit was with her all the way. When Dad passed away, you think he had a way, where's the Holy Spirit? Come on, no, 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 no. Instantly. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit just ushered your dad right into the holy presence of God. Because he's in us all the time. That's what made the church strong. Their recognition of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It is important. It is important that the Holy Spirit live in us, New Hope. We are his church. We are his people. He lives in us forever. We don't don't talk about some things because it just slips our mind and we go right by it. But Jesus had 12 12 disciples. One would would, uh, turn him in. One would betray him, Judas. But he had 12 men following him all the time. Gary, he couldn't get inside of them. Anybody here take any science classes? What's the law of inertia? Come on. You took a science class? I can't hear you. The law of inertia says two bodies cannot be in the same space at the same time. Jesus could not be in the bodies of his men. 
Therefore, he couldn't be with them wherever they went. He could only be with them when they were right there with him. But he says, I've got to go. I've got to go. And if I go, I'm going to send you a comforter who will be not only in you, but he'll be alongside of you every single day of your life. That's the Holy Spirit. Well, I've got to quit. How important is it? And I mean this seriously. How important is it for the Holy Spirit to live in us? How important is it for us to recognize that he needs to live? He wants to live in us. That's his choice. That's why Jesus had to go. That's why his resurrected body took off for heaven so that ten days later the Holy Spirit could come down and fill us with his presence. So today, you know, we, we, have you ever heard somebody say, oh, Jesus lives in my heart? <laughs> Wait a minute. Jesus has a glorified body. He can't fit in your body. But through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, live in us. And when we stand before Jesus, we will see him in his glorified body. And like like we said last week, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of all. Peter, he knew what happened in Acts. He knew what happened to him. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. He was manifesting the presence of the Holy Spirit. New hope, what are we manifesting? Why are we struggling and trying to get something done in our own strength when it can only be done in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit? Peter didn't heal that man. Jesus healed him. Peter brought him to Jesus. Peter brought him into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we need to understand about the presence of the Holy Spirit. New hope, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need to share this and then I'm going to quit. <clears throat> this is a Pentecostal church. The Assemblies of God are Pentecostal. They believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They believe in speaking in tongues. You know that. Okay? You don't have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Amen. When you say yes to Jesus, when you say, God, forgive me of all my sin, and you mean it, and you invite Christ into your heart and life, he comes in through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to send this comforter to you. It was, this was before the baptism ever happened in Acts 2.4. So that when you said yes to Jesus, when you really meant I'm through with the garbage of my life. I'm going to give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. He forgave you, and he came into you through the essence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit if Jesus is your Savior. That's not the baptism. That's the filling, which will never leave you. We're talking about speaking in tongues. We're talking about going on. We're talking about going forward. We want more of the presence of the Lord. We want to be closer to God. We begin to pray. We begin to seek God. We begin to say, God, baptize me with this gift of speaking in tongues. And sooner or later, as you minister through the Holy Spirit to the Lord, he will come and touch you, just as he did Acts 2.4. And you'll speak in tongues. And you'll speak in tongues not so you can interrupt the pastor while he's giving a message. I don't like that. Did I say that all right? Was I clear on that? We don't know some things because we're not teaching certain things. 
If I am anointed by the Holy Spirit to give you a message, then the Holy Spirit's not going to anoint you to interrupt my anointing. Do I believe in messages and tongues? Absolutely. Do I believe there's a place? Absolutely. That's another teaching. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not so you could speak in tongues. What did Jesus say? Acts chapter 1. <laughs> you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. The power in the presence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give you power to go out and do the work that, that Peter was doing. You should be my witness of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, Overton, Nevada. Whoever thought of Overton, Nevada? Jesus didn't even know where Overton, Nevada was. Don't confuse the two. If you love Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. Well, New Hope, I know you love Jesus. I know we have the Holy Spirit here. And so I'm saying to you, as a church family, let's keep seeking the anointing of the Spirit of God. Jesus lives in us. He's alive by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs our pathway. He directed Peter. I'll bet you've got some testimonies about how God directed you from point A to point B. And when you reach point B, there was someone there waiting for you so that you could minister to them. I'll bet there's testimonies about that. The Holy Spirit provides the miracles. The Holy Spirit brings people to salvation. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we will work for Jesus just like Peter worked for Jesus. The layman looked. Peter said, look at me. Didn't know what was going on. But he said, right now, I've got what you need. And your friends and your family out there are looking at you and you're looking at them. And you need to say to them, you think you know what you need to say it the right way. Don't be rude. But I know what you need. You need Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? Bow with me. Father, thank you. Oh, God, we thank you. You're so good to us. Your word is so real. And we need your anointing, Holy One. We need your anointing. There are many people out there who need us to touch them because no one else will. We need you. Let us as a church be honest with ourselves and with you, Father. I know we love you. I know this room is filled with people who love you. I know that. But help us, Holy Spirit, draw us closer to you. That we'll, we'll sense your presence more. We'll... we'll Cherish it more than we've ever cherished it before. Thy will be done, not ours. And Holy Spirit, you need to help us realize that day by day, we need you in our lives. In our lives, we need you.